Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> welcome, 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 welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, 2022 edition, because Woo! we made it, people. We took a little break, but we're back and ready to just take on 2022 that was such a jingle like I honestly thank you thank you thank you feel like do we like almost like you know how we have like obviously our theme music which I honestly still love even though I always forget the name of it but Paloma Paloma now I want to I would love to hear from the listeners what they think of that our intro song like me and Sam are obsessed with it and like I'm so shocked I'm not sick of it yet but I wonder if everyone else is like over it or if they like just love it and like dance to it every time it comes on i just love to know please dm us with that information i still dance to it <laughs> i actually have just like a quick little story that i think will, oh god will make the people laugh <laughs> okay oh i just got a, a notification on my phone from an app that should totally advertise for us or with us in case you're listening locks club well backstory is like you have to kind of have like a little bit more about your career on there so anyways obviously it says like 
a little spiel about girl and the gov like what we do whatever so it's pretty like front and center that i work in politics which i kind of like it gets out of the way it's like all right like take it or leave yeah. it you're either into it or not fine yeah and this dude like it's giving giving me the giggles because he was like make he like slid in and was like making a dad joke about like you know like not talking about like politics you and love religion. a dad joke oh my god i've been calling myself also recently a dad joke enthusiast and i really no, proud of that you talk about your dad jokes all the time oh my god I am, it's okay I think I'm keep a, going i think i'm a dad oh my god <laughs> am i a father <laughs> so he basically i think he was trying to you know gather whether i was like republican or democrat and he made like oh so this was part of the dad joke he was like addresses the elephant or donkey in the room I'm like, that's a funny one. That's actually a good one. I was like, I'm going to use that, including on this podcast right now. So he's welcome. And nonetheless, I was like, and a a donkey, and they're very much a donkey. And I was like, although it's very upsetting that this is the case because elephants are obviously way cuter as an animal, no offense to Right, I've always been bitter about that. But like, why are Democrats donkeys? Not that like, I still, I love all animals, so I'm like... But just the stereotype around donkeys aren't the best. So I'm like, who chose this mascot, you know? Right? Like, and of all, there's so many animals to choose from. I'm sure there's a story, and now I'm, like, definitely going to, like, do a little Googling on this. Yeah, we'll have to do a little. He, like, pulled from our thing. He was like, yeah, donkeys needs a rebrand. And I, you know, like. Is he the love of your life? I think we're getting. I think we're getting married. But we have. An incredible episode today, mm-hmm. and of course, before we get there, I do want to just like give our housekeeping shout outs just because it's a new year and people probably forgot. Number one, <laughs> are you in college? Do you need an internship? Because we have one available. If you need college credit for an internship, then go to girlinthegov.com careers and check out our social media marketing and research internship and see if it's a good fit for you. And if you are not looking for an internship or you just can't get that class credit for the internship, sign up for our brand ambassador program. That is also at girlinthegov.com. All the info and sign up sheet is there. So go check it out. I have one asterisk. And that one okay. asterisk is with the internship. And that is, okay. we are also accepting applications for summer as well. So if you can take summer internships for course credit as well, just know the door and the email, obviously, therefore, is open for you too. So let us know if you have any questions on that. We do have two events that are coming up in the coming months. We will be releasing those dates very soon. So if you're in New York or San Francisco, get excited you're gonna get to see our pretty faces in person i think Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool it is pretty cool and one more housekeeping item a quick shout out just to girl on the gov and our mission if you guys are loving this podcast loving what we're doing loving learning about politics and feel like you know what i want to shoot these girls a quarter we have a link for that (laughs) you can shoot us a quarter you can shoot us 10 quarters (laughs) you can shoot us ten dollars well to support the quarter there is actually a place near me that has really phenomenal pasta side note but they are now doing uh 25 cent martinis um espresso martinis not included at lunch which is unheard of in in san francisco yes but new york like i am shook i don't really know when i would have a convenient time to get drunk at lunch that is so dangerous yeah 
Martinis too. Good night. I know. Like imagine being like, yo, it's noon and I'm gonna I'm gonna have myself a martini. Like four martinis, you're you're done. That's a yeah, dollar. A dollar. It's cheaper than a hot dog. It's cheaper than a hot dog. So think about it well, this way. By giving yeah. us four quarters, it's still cheaper than a hot dog and it's better and it's better quality. So And you're learning stuff and you are helping a really important mission of civic engagement. And we just love to see it. So there is a link in the episode description if you do feel like I've been loving this podcast for the year plus that I've been listening to it. And we'd love to support those gals, keep the lights on and all the things. Link in episode description. Go check it out. Now, it is time to introduce our guest of honor. He is our first repeat guest and kind of the love of our lives right we love you but we had him back on because we um he is our political strategist basically our in-house one at this point and he helped us explain build back better a few months ago and now he is explaining the redistricting process that is going on right now in preparation for the 2022 midterms and how all that's going to turn out but even in the future future elections and how really this moment right now with redistricting is going to shape politics for years to come so Sam, do you want to give his little quick little spiel and give us the without further ado moment? Because we know you've been yearning to say that all of 2022 so far. Oh, God, I love saying without further ado. But no, seriously, this conversation is so interesting and obviously super fun because like this trio, please, I can't be beat. So Brian is a political strategist. He is also the founder of Civic Engagement Platform Oath, and he is also an advisor for all things grassroots fundraising. So before we introduce him, a little, you know, sort of plug, if you will, he has a really amazing newsletter resource where he is sharing his recommendations for where to donate to for different grassroots campaigns happening across positions across the country. So of course that link will down be ballot. in that description. Oh, hell yeah to that down ballot. Those races are super, super important. So without further ado, there it is. here's Brian. We want to talk about redistricting. And of course, we've tapped on this many a time because it's going to be insane looking into 2022, which is actually now. I like how I keep saying it as if it's, <laughs> it's like, crazy. oh, in a year from now, like yeah. we're here, which is bizarre. But we want to get into it. There are a lot of changes that have been, of course, happening. So if you wouldn't mind, give us the scoop. Where are we at with, with redistricting? Like, do we have some updates? What is redistricting? <laughs> Totally. Yes, I'm happy to. Well, thank you for having me on again. Uh, I'm super excited to be here. So to cover our bases and, and answer Maddie's question first, redistricting is the process of drawing new maps for who represents you in Congress and in your state legislature. And it happens in every state every 10 years. So this is the process that was set out way back in the day uh, through the constitution. And so after the census happens every 10 years, we figure out where people have moved from, where they moved to, because our members of Congress and and state legislatures are are based on population distribution. And so that process is called reapportionment. And so last year we found out which states were going to lose seats in, in Congress, which seats were going to gain seats in Congress, and then each state has to, has to go about their own process for drawing those lines, and that's known as redistricting, which we are in the midst of right now. So in terms of where we are at, 
34 states have completed their redistricting or are about to finalize and, and have those maps certified. And then another 16 are in the process of doing so or or even like just getting started. The timelines vary widely from that's state so to crazy. state. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. I have just so many, so many questions. Um, I'm not quite sure where to start. I mean, first of all, we have the midterms this year. Is this usually, I don't know how the math would go, but like, is it usually the census year and the redistricting year before a midterm election? It always is. Always, so, okay. yes, because the House of Representatives is on a two year election cycle, it always happens so that within 24 months after a census, you have to complete the entire redistricting process and then run on on those new maps that they just drew, which means that it's like a highly volatile cycle. So the House of Representatives is, is always up. Yeah. It could also be a, depending on how the cycle falls, it could also end up being like a presidential year, but it is not so right now. It's just a And term. how does that Thank shift? God the dynamics of midterm elections and the campaigns and everything, having it be a redistricting year, does that like push out timelines when people announce, when people start to run? Like, where are we in that phase? Like, is there still a lot of new candidates that could announce like in the coming months? Yeah, it's it definitely scrunches the, the campaign timelines, which we've watched over the last like decade or two as they've sort of crept up and up and up so that um, our elected officials, it feels like, are always campaigning. A lot more people, a lot more incumbents waited to see what would happen in their state to decide whether they wanted to run again and stay in office or whether they would just retire, um, which we've seen, especially on the Democratic side. I have a lot of questions if about you're, that. Okay, yeah, we can definitely get into it because yeah. I have I have a lot of thoughts there. But and then and then on the flip side of that, if you're not an incumbent, if you're not in office right now, but are thinking about running, you might wait until your district is finalized to know how good of a chance you really have at winning, whether your district is gonna be like D plus five or R plus three or something like that. Okay. Well, getting into that question, why are people retiring due to their, you know, redistricting? I have so many questions about that. Me and Sam were like, phonies? Like, little, what is going on here? Like, mm -hmm. what is the like, strategy? Like, oh, I do this for my people, my ass. Yeah, like, I, I just... <laughs> so, so, actually, just, like, when we're recording this, just before I read news of the 26th announcement just happened mm -hmm. like within the last two hours oh my God. that the, there's a, a 26th democrat currently in the house who will not be running for re-election and so of those 26 some of them are retiring and are in their 70s like the the democratic caucus is a lot older than the republican caucus and older than the united states population as a whole wow. and so there, there's a big chunk of, of them that are actually retiring and will probably okay. not work after this. Maybe they mm -hmm. will do something here or there. Then there's another segment of members of the House that are running for other offices. So the last time I looked, it was like four are running for Senate. 
two are running for governor. One was running for mayor of LA. One was running for another statewide office, like attorney general or something. And so, but those are also current office holders who will no longer be able to like defend a seat for us because they're busy running for a, a different office. So my thoughts on like the implications there are kind of split where it's, conventional wisdom that it's it's called the incumbency advantage, right? If you mm-hmm. have already won an election before, you have a natural advantage because people know your name, you have, you're in the news, right? Because you're like yeah. signing legislation and doing things in your community. So you have that natural advantage. Mm-hmm. And more than likely in recent years, that means that you've probably spent millions of dollars on ads already on TV to get that name recognition. So you have this like, really valuable thing that somebody else, if you're running sort of from obscurity, you're going to have to spend twice as much money to, to get the same rec- name recognition that the incumbent already has. That's why it's hard to unseat incumbents. I think that the incumbency advantage has slid in recent years because people are so disillusioned with the current system that they love an outsider, right? This was part mm-hmm. of Trump's appeal is he was like, I'm going to blow this shit up. And everybody found that they found that to be better than yeah. continuing on with with what was happening at the time because people felt so disillusioned. On the flip side of that, so that's why incumbency, that's why it's bad to have so many Democrats retiring. And that's it's going to be harder for us to hold the majority because of that. On the flip side of that, it might be painful in the near term and it right. literally could cost us the majority in the House. But I'm very hopeful that in the long term, this is going to be a generational change, right? The last time I crunched yeah. the numbers, the average age of the retiring members was just over 70. And so like these are like boomers and above that are that are retiring and many many of them could could be replaced with millennials and mm-hmm. younger leaders in their communities who might better capture where the party is at right now, right. where it's going in the future because I think in as a nation and as a party we haven't done a great job of investing in young people and in our young leaders and so it's exciting that so many offices are opening up right now for young Mm -hmm. people to run that could potentially be in office for another 10 20 years whatever term limits is its own conversation but (laughs) but it's exciting to see some new faces so that's the upside you know that i'm an optimist so i'll always try and try and bring you positivity i I have like another question which pushes us in a slightly different direction so like obviously this whole situation around incumbents i've seen a lot of people like you said switch to other positions that they're running for like i was looking at like the senate race in pennsylvania for example and like connor lamb is running for that seat and he's a congressman and obviously they're different they have different powers but they're almost adjacent in in a way like what's the advantage to that Yeah. So Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania is a good example. Val Demings is in Florida. She's running for Senate. Tim Ryan in Ohio Mm -hmm. is running. And so I think the same, the incumbency advantage that I talked about before also works for other offices, right? It's a natural springboard. If you have this profile and like you have the backing of all of these people who not only support you, but are willing to donate money to your campaign and are willing to go out and knock on doors for you, like it's a natural launching pad to run for higher office. And so that happens a lot. I think that I have a lot of respect for for our elected leaders and I'm sure a lot of people don't (laughs) feel the same way all the time. (laughs) 
but I will, but I will admit that a lot of them do have uh, a bit of an ego. You might pick up on that by reading the news, and and so their intentions might be really pure. For example, Connor Lamb. I don't know Connor Lamb. I've never worked with him, so I'm just this is conjecture. But like, he might feel that he is the only person who, the only Democrat who can win that seat in, in Pennsylvania okay. and flip and flip that seat. At, at a minimum, he thinks he's the best person to do it, right? But he might think that he's the only person. So even though it could cost us a seat in the House, if he thinks he's the only one who's going to be able to flip that Senate seat, it's a, it's a net positive for us, right? Because right? mm-hmm. someone else might still be able to hold his his house seat. So it's it's a lot of calculations of, of your personal value. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just going to say too, like, tracking all of this is exhausting i don't know how you do it very very impressed but yeah then you see like the articles that come out where they're like republicans are like they're running for the hills like (laughs) retiring all this stuff and there's like that narrative as well totally yeah and i think that that's why i've tried to lean into the generational change narrative a bit more is like let's get young people really excited about this because Mm -hmm. It is, it is a messaging problem when you have 26 Democrats who have served a long time in the House being like, okay, I'm out. Like that doesn't inspire confidence in right. the in, in the party that's trying to maintain control of, of the House. And so that's sort of my response is like, how do we get 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 20-somethings, like we can use some more AOCs, right? So like, how do we get them out there running for office, engaged in their community? It doesn't have to be Congress, but I think that it's a good year for us to be focused on that because that's going to pay dividends, not just in 2022, but 24, 26, 2030, 2032. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was like the narrative, the generational thing was something that we were talking about on a previous episode when talking about all this is like, yeah, this could really open up a bunch of young people running but then I had the moment where I was like are people even still are announcing like it just seems so weird like okay it's 2022 and I know just how our American election cycle works and how early these days people announce and start running and we know a lot of people who have been running like since the summer and even some kind of before I was like well nobody's gonna run at this point isn't it too late (laughs) I think we will see I think we will continue to see some new people yes most people have announced intentions already or or filed to to run we can talk about this uh, another time it's a bigger conversation but i think the biggest factor for moving that timeline up has been fundraising and okay. if you need to if you can run a successful congressional campaign on $250,000 that's a totally different timeline than if i tell you that it's going to take 3.5 million dollars for right. you to run that same successful campaign it's going to take you a lot longer to raise the money and so my solution there is like, let's invest in young people. When you see a 30 something um, running for office, like donate to their campaign because yeah. historically they are under invested and it's harder for them to raise the kind of money that they need in order to win. Right. Totally. And that does make sense thinking about like some of the people I know Mountie's like referring to that had really pushed themselves out early in the campaign cycle and they are all younger and they all aren't like incumbents, you know, they are new to the game and they need that. Yeah. yeah, Need that timeline, even that moment. So it makes sense. But so you have moments, let's circle back to redistricting because what a behemoth, but right now looking at stuff, is there a certain party, and I feel like I'm answering my own question by even saying this, but regardless, <laughs> is there a party that really has an advantage right now or 
is sort of set out to have one at the end of end of this when it's all said and done? Of course, the Republicans. Of course, I, I have to be the bearer of bad news here. So the Republicans are in a much stronger position when it comes to redistricting for a few reasons. One is their natural geographic advantage. Just the the demographics of the part of of the two party system right now are that Democrats mostly live in big cities and Republicans are spread out in more rural places. And so that just gives them a a geographic advantage, but mainly because right now Republicans have control of more state legislatures. And in 33 states, the redistricting process falls to the state legislature. And so that gives them control over drawing more districts. Right now, Republicans control the drawing of 187 districts in in this redistricting process compared to Democrats 75. And so it's a significant, it's a significant advantage that they're just drawing a lot more maps than, Mm -hmm. than Democrats are. The reason for that dates all the way back to 2010. When we really blew it, I'll Sick. say they really blew it because I wasn't, I was not <laughs> politically <laughs> wasn't me, engaged yet. Speaking of how many redistrictings we've right. been around for. So they really blew it. They fell asleep at the wheel after Obama won in 08. Republicans won. It was the Tea Party. It was the time of the Tea Party. Republicans flipped 700 state legislative seats nationwide. Oh, it was crazy. God. Flipped so many chambers. And then they used that power to their advantage to gerrymander the shit out of every state that they could. And that kept them in power long after they were losing popularity, right? So they had a really popular election cycle 2010. They used that power to stay in power. And that that still is impacting us today because Republicans held on to majorities in some states such as Arizona that they, they might otherwise not have. And that is enabling them to control a majority of the districts being being drawn in, in this cycle. I yeah. cannot get over 700 seats. It was, yeah. And those are state legislative seats. It was a really bad election cycle for Democrats. The third reason that Republicans have an advantage here and Democrats are drawing so few districts is because basically we did, we did something called like unilateral disarmament, right? And so Ooh, Democrats believe... It, it's a it's a principle it's a principle of the Democratic Party that we should be against gerrymandering, and so what Democrats did in the states that they had the power to in many of the states that they had the power to was move redistricting away from the state legislature yeah. to independent commissions. Sometimes that happened through the state legislature itself that they gave that power away. Sometimes it happened through through voter-initiated ballot referendums, like in California. And so in places, California is a perfect example, where we gave that that power away. If we were fighting fire with fire, we probably would have been able to gerrymander California right now to screw Republicans out of a bunch of seats and keep things more even. But we have lost that power because Democrats had good intentions and wanted to to move to a a more fair process but we should have done that all together nationwide state for state red and blue rather than just laying down our our weapons so to speak yeah and and letting republicans continue to gerrymander that's what i was thinking i just feel like it's like such a classic like no offense to all of us but like also all of the offense in the world but like 
the Dems just refuse to like play dirty ever. And like, don't yeah. get me wrong, I understand like the moral implications and trying to be it's such a better person, but it's like also a little bit like it's kind of embarrassing. Like, maybe that's just my high school bully like speaking, but like, I just am like, what? Like, continuously sort of like bending over and being like, hey, yeah, we're just gonna yeah. take it. It's fine. Like. For, for the future, like, well, if we're not around in 100 years because, like, X, Y, Z happened and none of the Republicans believed in climate change, like, who do we have to blame? Like, I know that's really getting carried away with it, but I'm dramatic and I just can't help it on a Monday. I just can't. No, I, I totally hear that. I think that it's trickier once you dive in, in the sense that Democratic voters and Republican voters respond very differently to to messaging. Mm -hmm. And so Republican voters have been in that place of like scorched earth. I will support these electeds using any means necessary to do what we want to do. They've been in that place for longer than the Democratic voters have been in that place. And I would say still, there are still probably more voters than any of us would acknowledge that are not that that are still not in that place that are still not in a scorched earth do anything necessary that democrats respond really positively to like messages about bipartisanship Mm -hmm. and like working together and stuff and so i agree with you that democrats have not met the same bar when it comes to the tactics used but i honestly wonder if they did that if they would actually lose popularity because democratic voters don't respond as well to it i mean i I would have to do some more serious research yeah no that's super interesting yeah because i was thinking about that too it's like there are places where redistricting is happening in a fair way but it's all in the places where democrats are are yeah the the main the main states the blue states that push (laughs) their power over where california did it new jersey Washington, Colorado. These are all places where Democrats do not have the sole power to gerrymander, even though we do control the state legislatures yeah. in, in these places. But I, the other the other thing that has really saved us, and I'll just give a plug here because I think it's so important, are Democratic governors. The, the states that Republicans are gerrymandering the worst have Republican state Senate, Republican state House, and a Republican governor. Whereas there are Democratic governors saving us from that because in many places, not everywhere, but in many places, they have the ability to veto maps, which they've done in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. Michigan is complicated, but and Louisiana as well. Mm-hmm. And so, shout out to yeah. Tony Evers in Wisconsin, especially who's yeah. who's really coming through and dulling the the pain a little okay. bit of, of yeah. what could have happened. Republicans, here's here's my recap. Republicans have the advantage. It's been a long time coming that they have the advantage in redistricting. They've been working on on this plan for over a decade, but it won't be quite as bad um, as it could have been specifically because of Democratic governors, because we got lucky with a few independent commissions and because we are probably now going to gerrymander in the places that we can in order to fight back okay well moving back to two like the there's so many freaking layers to this conversation i can't and i think it's actually funny to think about because just like going back to this whole like age thing how we is this our first like redistricting like we've really been awake for 
right? So there's just a lot to learn. But speaking of like going back to like the timeline of things, like it's 2022 now, the midterms are coming, the primaries are almost here. And there's some things that have been delaying this entire process, lawsuits being one of them. So we wanted to kind of get into some of those and get a little explainers on what's going on there. First one is in Texas, and the DOJ is basically saying that they're violating the Voting Rights Act. Can you kind of explain what's going on here? Will anything positive come about this? Like, where are we? Possibly. It is a very litigious (laughs) cycle right now. The last time I looked, there were 34 lawsuits happening in 12 states, and I think eight more states are expecting lawsuits to be filed. And so this is like approaching half the country is facing legal battles over the maps that have been drawn. And Texas is is a good example of that. So in Texas, there are upwards of, of six different lawsuits alleging exactly what you just claimed, that there's racial discrimination happening in the way that they're drawing the maps. First, just a quick quick and dirty on how you gerrymander, right? You have to understand how this works in order to understand what is and isn't illegal. Mm -hmm. And so the Texas redistricting um, did something that that we refer to as cracking and packing, packing and cracking. So first what you do is you pack as many of your opponent's voters into one district as possible, right? Because you know that you're going, that Democrats, even in a state like Texas, Democrats are going to win somewhere. So you want as many of them as possible to be represented by just a couple districts rather than 50-50 districts throughout the state. Then once you've done that, then you can crack. So so that's the packing. And then you can crack, uh, which is like splitting the remainder up into majority Republican districts. That's what's happened in Texas. As part of the reapportionment process that we talked about earlier, Texas gained two, is gaining, I should say, two congressional seats in in 2022 because there has been a significant increase in the population of Texas. 95% of that population growth has been people of color, especially Latino communities have exploded, have have, have, um, really been responsible for for that entire sea change in population in Texas. But when the Republican state legislature went to draw those new seats, they, instead of drawing two new districts to represent those people of color who moved into the state or were born and, and, and aged into a voting age population, instead they drew two majority white districts. And so 60% of, the, of all of the congressional districts in Texas under the new maps are majority white, but only 40% of the state is white, identifies Mm -hmm. as white. And so it's just, they're basically diluting the votes of people of color by using these gerrymandering tactics to push them all into a singular district or one or two districts, and then diluting their vote in, in other districts. That is the basis of the lawsuits. And I won't go so far as as to predict the outcome of those lawsuits. I think that there are other places that were more likely to have legal victories based on what I'm seeing come from legal pundits and, and constitutional scholars and that kind of thing. I'm not overly optimistic about the Texas lawsuits, but I... I I, I hope I will I will keep the the hope alive and say that I, I hope to see some resolutions that would 
result in some real justice for for the people of color in that state who are currently being mistreated via redistricting yeah okay well prayers like manifesting we always say it happens every podcast that we're manifesting something and that is (laughs) that is the theme for today but hopping to like a nearby state a nearby in my head because i'm from the north and this feels close geographically the north the north the north but nonetheless (laughs) alabama there's also a lawsuit going on there is this a similar to what's happening in texas and b like is there less or more of a shot of you know this this making a wave it is very similar alabama is not gaining or losing a congressional seat uh as part of reapportionment so instead they had a constant population and the republican controlled state legislature just drew new maps that would further pack so in Alabama, we're mostly talking about black voters, right? Mm-hmm. And so 30% of the voting age population in Alabama is black, but they are packing that most of that population into a single District. congressional seat. And so they would have 14% of the representation from the state when they make up 30% of the state itself. And so it's a very similar racial discrimination case being made in Alabama as, as the one in Texas, but with some slight uh, differences on, on sort of like the facts of, of what's going on. And then the other one we wanted to like get a snapshot of was North Carolina. Can you also explain all of that? Yes, North Carolina is perhaps the most, is one of the most gerrymandered maps this cycle. The Texas one is bad for different reasons, but Republicans in Texas mostly tried to protect their incumbents and they mostly just wanted to keep these individuals in power. Whereas in in North Carolina and in Ohio as well, they really just wanted to get as many Republican districts as humanly possible, no matter who was going to represent those districts. We can we can get into that more if you if you have questions there. But in North Carolina, again, black voters make up about 30% of the state but are being packed, I believe, into two districts. And Republicans have split it so that if Republicans win 50% of of the vote uh, statewide, they will win 71% of the representation because of how those districts are drawn. Whereas to win 50% of the representation, Democrats will have to win more than 57% of the total vote in the state. And based on how polarized we are as a country right now, hitting 57% in a battleground state is a very high watermark. It's hard to see that happening in the near future in a state like North Carolina. And so it is effectively boxing Democrats out of of representation that would match what the voter preferences in the state are. It would preclude that from happening. And So for that reason, the North Carolina case is both about racial discrimination and it's about partisan gerrymandering, which is against the state constitution. Got it. Which is interesting, too, because it's like at the constitutional level. And I think something people really forget, too, is that states have their own constitution and own ways of like doing things, which is definitely another conversation in terms of how those were formed and whatnot that I think we should definitely get into another time. But in the light of like North Carolina and like what could happen there, what are your predictions? 
And do you think what happens there will be sort of the benchmark for what happens elsewhere? Or is there another state we should look at that's like what happens here will sort of be the predecessor to, you know, other trends? Sure. I'll, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a constitutional scholar, <laughs> so um, take it with a grain of salt. But I do consume the amount of, of media about this process and am trying to get the word out to people so that they can stay informed about what's happening in their state. Through all of that research, I will say that it seems the most likely legal victories against gerrymandering are in North Carolina, where Democrats actually have a, major a majority in the Supreme Court. And in Ohio, where conservatives have a majority in the state Supreme Court, but the swing vote seems to be not a fan of, of partisan gerrymandering. And Ohioans just passed, I think it was in 2018, a ballot referendum to ban partisan gerrymandering. And so Republicans are ignoring something that literally voters just passed by, I think, overwhelming majority in order for their own partisan gain. And they, the, the court doesn't, based on their questions during oral arguments and things like, doesn't seem to like that. And so I think that we do have a chance of having different maps drawn for Ohio or North Carolina that wouldn't be quite so egregious. Those are where I'm most hopeful. Okay, well, fingers crossed, and I have another question. Yeah. And that is, like, of all the maps that you've seen out there, what is the one with, like, the weirdest shape that you've seen so far? <laughs> like, the one where you're like, what creature is this on the map? There is a district in Texas that completely encircles another district. So imagine, like, a donut Stop where it. the whole of the donut is one district and then the donut <gasps> itself is a different district. Yeah. Shut up. I can't. Yeah. Well, we had oh this God. idea a while back and we just haven't executed on it yet. And honestly, <laughs> I think it needs to happen when like everything is like said and done anyway. So it's a blessing. But we want to do a coloring book of all the like gerrymandered, you know, <laughs> situations over here, all the districts. And then people like really see, like they'll visualize it. And then like, you know, they'll be like, we're getting into children's crazy. books. Yeah. Oh, it's really new. new market. You know, it's yeah, new market. New. We're trying to I reach think that, that future youth vote, you know? I love that. I think that's a great idea. And I will also say for, because specifically because I know your listeners are like more tapped in and more interested in this stuff than the average person off the street, that the crazy shaped districts of like a claw or an eagle or a dragon or whatever, they like put faces on them now, like yeah. are, are egregious for obvious reasons because you can see exactly what they're doing, but right. you actually can gerrymander the shit out of a state with square districts too. Mm. For example, if you cut a city in four and then in, in have a huge rural population and then just a small sliver of the city population, you are diluting right. the vote of that city into multiple districts. Uh -huh. um, and so don't be fooled by Shapes. squares and, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can totally, you can totally gerrymander with something that looks relatively benign, but it can actually be an, an egregious gerrymander as well. I think mm -hmm. the line of this episode is don't be fooled by squares. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, what when are these like lawsuits and stuff do you think will actually have some answers on do yes. we know? So the we should have some answer in the immediate future in the next like couple weeks for okay. for several of these lawsuits that for example in North Carolina they actually delayed 
the the primary there for this lawsuit to continue and so there will have to be some resolution to that lawsuit but there will be ongoing litigation about these maps probably for years i mean mm-hmm. the north carolina maps for in that were drawn in 2010 were thrown out as unconstitutional like six i can't remember if it was six or seven years later oh my God. and they were using those maps the whole time wow. and so yeah, we, we honestly could see these lawsuits go on for a really long time, but we also will have results of some of them in the immediate future before the midterms happen. Okay, so yeah, they like, if they, regardless the midterms are happening, primaries might be pushed back. Yeah, they know. have been they have been delayed slightly in North Carolina. I, It could happen in, in another one or two states. I don't think that it'll be like a, a common thing. It can happen. We saw that during the pandemic when I think 16 or so states delayed their primaries. But I, I don't think that it'll be very many that do that in in the midterms. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, you know, this just gives me more questions. And I think the questions we should do are our stupid questions because duh. <laughs> so to, you know, knock some of these down, what is a median seat? Sure. So a median seat is if you lined up all the seats by sort of the the partisan bias of that district. So you have like R plus 20 districts all the way to a D plus 20 district or or whatever you might you might have in a state. The median of that list is going to be your median seat. And we talk about the median seat because you want the median seat to match the state as a whole. Because in, in a perfectly fair uh, redistricting cycle and, and, and map, you would have some Republican seats, of course, you'd have some Democratic seats to represent the voters of, of both parties in that state. And if the entire state were New York and it's, and it's D plus 10 or whatever, then your median seat is also going to be heavily Democratic. Whereas in a battleground state, you might have a median seat that's an R plus one or, or, or D plus one because it's really split um, right down the middle. And so I think that that just goes to show that fair doesn't always mean 50-50, right? Mm. It can, there can be a bias, but the bias within the districts overall, the median there should match the bias of the state. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Next one is what is an efficiency gap? An efficiency gap is a fancy metric that they use to measure how how fair a district might be, especially for these districts that are heavily biased, heavily partisan in one direction or the other. The efficiency gap shows you how many votes in that state are being wasted in districts that a party has has already won. So I talked before about the strategy of packing and cracking. Mm-hmm. And so efficiency gap, the efficiency gap measures that packing activity, where if you're making one district 100% Democratic so that you have less Democrats in other districts, your efficiency gap is, is going to be way off, right? Because that's an extremely inefficient way to count those votes when you're putting them all into one place. You can see the efficiency gap of all of the old maps and the new maps on 538. They have a great redistricting tracker uh, yes. that I use all the time as, as like a roundup of, of the data. So yeah, they have more totally. about that there. 
obsessed, which Loki, I did not know about that resource until like, I don't know, maybe like a year or so ago. And I was like, how did I live without this? Where was oh, I? I love it. Like what rock was I under? Clearly a boulder. But yeah, looking at the they seats have- and thinking about, you know, like where everything's at, what does it mean for a seat to really be competitive? And looking at this efficiency gap too, like what is that range where it's like, this is competitive or it honestly on the opposite too, where it's like, yeah, not a shot in hell. Right. I think that the standard for competitive, you might, you might honestly get different um, answers from, from different people in, in the political space. I think the standard is probably an R plus five through a D plus five. So if Republicans on average will, will win by, by five or or less, or Democrats on average are going to win by five or less, then that is considered competitive. Because in a, I'm using air quotes here, like in a wave election cycle, a red wave, a blue wave, all of those seats, at a minimum, all of those seats are, are up for grabs, right? And so in a typical election cycle, you might see a five point swing. That's like not that dramatic. Mm-hmm. And so those seats would be considered competitive. Whereas if you have a seat like the one that I live in, in New York, which I think is like D plus 20, D plus 30, D plus 30 maybe. I'd have it to looks look like it you up. were like looking out to like your street in your neighborhood. <laughs> You're like, like, the it's like a bat, sig- it's like a bat I'm signal. I'm counting. <laughs> I forgot about, oh, those neighbors are Republican. I'm counting. So in, in a, in a um, district like mine, where a, a Democrat is always going to win, right? by at least 25 plus points in in the city of New York. And so that would not be considered a competitive seat. And even in a wave election cycle, this seat is still going to be democratic. And so in order for Congress and our government to be responsive to the needs of the people, you want as many competitive districts as possible. The parties don't want that, right? They want as many safe districts as possible so that they can funnel their resources only into the competitive seats and try to win those. But as a country, if we want, you know what I mean? Like the opinions of our leaders to match the opinions of people, then we our leaders have to change, right? Yeah. And so we want as many competitive districts as possible. I will say, I know we're, I'm fully on a tangent here now, but I oh, should okay. have mentioned this earlier because I focus too much and in general, the media focuses too much on the balance of power from redistricting. How many mm. Democrats are going to get elected and how many Republicans are going to get elected. But you could have 200 Republicans come from safe seats, safe Republican R plus 10 seats, and 200 Democrats come from D plus 20 seats in Congress and the rest to be competitive. Or you could have 100 on each side come from safe seats. We we want 100. We want as many competitive seats as possible. And it has been an overarching theme that even in the states where Republicans didn't steal as many seats as they might maybe could have, they did eliminate as many competitive districts as possible. And so that's why you're seeing articles and think pieces being put out on like the death of the of the competitive district, of the swing district, mm-hmm. because it's going to become a thing of the past. They're moving so many of them into the safe R yeah. or, or in some cases less so, but some cases safe D territory through packing, through cracking that you don't have I mean, Texas is going from having six highly competitive districts to one. And so that just shows you, even though they didn't 
gerrymander as much as they could have in the state of Texas, they did steal the ability for people to organize and change who their leaders are. They can change the person via a primary, but it's highly unlikely that you're going to change the party of a representative in a district that is R plus 15. Right. Yeah. It feels like a game of chess. No, I was just going to say, you know, the GIF of Alan from The Hangover with all the, like, equations and the... Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's like, that's literally me right now. But all of this... No, I mean, it's just... There's so much to it, so many layers, like we said. But kind of wrapping everything up, where... I don't know. What should we be looking at now that we... I keep... Again, I keep saying, looking into 2022. No, we're here. We're here in 2022. What should we be looking at? What levels? What states? If some of this might feel a little doomsday to people, like, what are kind of the... Is there any relief? Where can we look? Yes. I think that the absolute worst possible scenario from redistricting was averted, where the House would have been unwinnable right? Especially because of what's happening in states like Oregon and New, and New York, where Democrats really are fighting back in, in every way that, that we can, or at least I expect them to. And so the House is in play, right? The number, like our, our priority has to be to keep the House in 2022 so that we can continue, continue to pass legislation. And we need to keep the Senate in in 2022 hopefully pick up a few more seats to even one even one more seat to to sort of take away some of the power that joe manchin and and kirsten cinema have which we've talked about but i will immediately contradict myself and say if you are tuned in enough to politics to be listening to this podcast and the lovely community that y'all have built i would tell you to look down back I think mm-hmm. that if you are plugged in and you are following and you're interested in this stuff, then you should be donating pretty much exclusively to state legislative campaigns in battleground states and in battleground districts to people running for secretary of state, which in most states is the authority over election administration, where you have like QAnon and Trump people running to basically take over our election system. You should donate to candidates for state attorney general in important states. These are the races that have been overlooked forever in the Democratic Party. And we know, I mean, Mark Kelly, who's like a superstar senator from Arizona, just reported raising $9 million in Q4 and has 18 million cash on hand. Crazy. So we, we know that the senator, the Senate candidates are going to get there. They're going to get the money that they need. They have mm-hmm. all the connections in the world to big money donors. And and a, for a lot of House candidates, that's true. Not all of them. I'm not going to say don't donate to any House candidates or Senate candidates. But like, if you are really plugged in, you can maximize your impact by looking down ballot at the races that other people are ignoring, where it's hard for them to get press. It's going to be harder for you to find which races, um, this is what I do, right? Is I, I'm trying to share that information with people and show them what races yeah, sign up their the dollars and, and time. Yes, exactly, the newsletter. And so, but it's worth it if you're plugged in to find those opportunities where you can be a game changer in a local race near you, a local race far from you that's important, a school board race, things like that, where other people are just simply aren't paying attention, but yeah. it really matters and we've seen why. I mean, even, I mean, your last newsletter with the Secretary of State conversation, like, is so interesting in how all the QAnon people are running and, like, they're almost preparing for 2024. Isn't that kind of, like, the theory that 
how can they kind of like attack our election system in the states in order to help Donald Trump potentially in 2024? Is that what I'm what I'm grasping? I think that's absolutely a fair assessment of what's going on. You have people who have embraced the lie that the 2020 election was stolen and lies about election fraud, and they are running to take over control of our voter rolls, of the counting processes, of state certification of elections, and have real meaningful impact in in how our elections are run and they could potentially be the person sort of with their with their finger on the button and so that's terrifying when people ask me like is trump going to run in 2024 my response at this point is it depends on what happens in 2022 Mm -hmm. i think that if all of these people win and he has a solid grip over the election administration process then he will feel like he cannot lose and then he won't he won't run. If he feels like he could lose, he might not. He might still, but he might not. He might not run if, if he feels like, but he has nothing to lose if all these QAnon and, and Trump people win and okay. are and they're openly saying that anytime a Democrat wins in their state, there's fraud. If right. they're openly running on that platform, then he has no reason not to run. Right, totally. And I think as like a additional plug, and we want to circle back to your newsletter because it's super important that everyone sign up and like get this info, is to sort of learn more about the impact of secretaries of state and what this strategy is. The Daily actually just did a three-part series as part of the insurrection. And the part three of it really goes into what's happening at that level. So for anyone listening, if you want a little bit more of like a deep dive, highly recommend it. It's great for a little podcast walk. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna check it out too. It's I so haven't good. listened to it. I haven't I'm, listened I'm to it either. Listen to that, as well. yeah. that one so good, and they did like the part two is like the interview with Liz Cheney, which was super interesting. So I gotta yeah. say, it was like a three part tea filled, like scary but great like situation. So can't recommend enough. But speaking of recommendations, your newsletter. How do people sign up for this? Get these, you know, these top notch recs like in their inbox. Give us a scoop. And remind us of your Instagram, um, all the things. Yeah. Yes, thank you. My Instagram is at Brian Derrick underscore, and it is in my the link in my bio. You can join. It's what I'm calling grassroots donor advising, and so I periodically I'll increase frequency as the election approaches. But right now, it's like every two weeks or so, send out an email with a breakdown of a specific office. So far I've done governor, I've done secretary of state, the attorney, the state attorney general email is coming next. And so do a breakdown of what's happening in the most competitive races, who's leading the pack, where we need to wait and see what happens in a primary, where we should be giving our money right away and try to just in a very simple language that anybody can understand without any pre-existing knowledge, understand exactly where you can have an impact in the races that are going to matter the most. Obsessed. Amazing. And it is. I can vouch because I'm obsessed with it and I afford it to like Same. everyone I know. And we love like something that says clown car in it. And I do see that one quite frequently. <laughs> so I love it. Bob. No, it's it's amazing. All your content's amazing. You're so good at explaining all of this. So thank you for again just he's our first repeat guest, everybody. That's Woo! how it is. I feel honored. I feel very honored <laughs> for that. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. I hope people are a little bit more plugged into redistricting and DM me if you have any questions. Yes, and I'm always yes. around to answer. Slide on in. Thank you again. Top 
stories of the week. We are back with this lovely segment, and we have some stories to go over. New year, new new stories, I guess. Here we are. Jeez. First one is the Democrats are eager to fill power vacuum after Pelosi exit. So Pelosi has led the D- Democratic Party for the last 19 years, and due to Democrats facing odds of keeping control of the House in these upcoming midterms this year, it is understood that her last year would be this year so kind of crazy to think of just like congress and the democratic party without nancy pelosi as the face but here we are the house budget committee chairman john yarmuth help is it is Yar- that- i think it's yarmuth no why is this a, this is just like a thing that happens <laughs> every top story is, is like there's somebody's name who we either are obsessed with or can't pronounce um this one is the latter. So he said that my gut would tell me that this would be her last term. I see a lot of people who would be presumed successors donating a lot of money to their colleagues. If we're in the minority, another lawmaker said, I can't imagine her wanting to do it. So, okay, so I think interesting. that's like super interesting and I kind of disagree with that. Granted, I have not met her personally. I have not had this conversation, <laughs> but... She lives a few streets away from me. Have yet to pay her a visit, but... Okay, sorry. What's your point? Oh, my point was going to be, like, I just have, like, a really hard time, like, thinking that this is going to be, like, her last term. I just, like, don't get me wrong, like, she is definitely at an age where it's, like, and across, like, both parties. Are they saying she's going to, like, fully retire, though? Or is she just going to step down from a speaker? I'm getting the gist that she's going to fully retire. That she's going to be like, okay, let someone. I mean, God bless her um, for hanging in there for this long. Like, I totally. I still don't understand these politicians who, like, literally work till they're 80. I'm like, the minute I turn 60, it's it's going to be a no from me on all fronts, working-wise. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's lights out, But hey, I don't know. I, I think feel like there's I still... Feel- Honestly, this conversation with Brian might be the perfect just preface for this conversation of, like, people retiring, where redistricting is going, and, you know, I guess we'll probably see in the coming weeks, hopefully not too many months, but anyways. So there are some people waiting in the wings for Nancy to retire, but also actually um, waiting for Majority Whip Clyburn to possibly retire as well. So there's, like, a list of people who are looking for different leadership roles in the party, those being um, Assistant Speaker Catherine Clark from Massachusetts, Democratic Caucus Chairman Hakeem Jeffries from New York, Rep Pete Aguilar, Aguilar, <laughs> can't speak, can't pronounce names, it's my thing, um, from California, and he is the Caucus Vice Chairman. And then there's also kind of a mix of people vying for other leadership spots, like we said, like Rep David Sis- What? Why am I tasked with saying these names? Can you say that one? Ciceline. <laughs> Honestly, you take this one. Take this one. Go for it. <laughs> I'm retiring from this role. Of trying to pronounce names, just because I have so. one. I could be wrong, but if my that makes more sense if... than whatever I was attempting to say. So can you just keep going? Like my my brain's exhausted from trying to pronounce these names. I'm just tired. I get it. Oh, well, I'm amazed Pelosi's not tired either. But anyways. Even at 81, Pelosi is a ball of energy who is constant, in constant motion. On I Capitol. can't believe she's 81. I know. 81 is just such a baffling number. And then the fact that like our president is also that age is also baffling. 
It really is. So even at 81, 81 years of age, Pelosi is considered a ball of energy, constantly in motion, which like given how many press conferences she does, I can't say I disagree with that. She also holds this sort of undisputed title as Democrats' most successful fundraiser in Congress. And according to this particular spokesperson, she's raked in more than $1 billion for her party since she joined the leadership ranks in 2002. So crazy. That's just... Get it, Nance. Get your bag. Honestly, yeah. We'll give a little color from a Pelosi ally in this situation. So from Norma Torres, Representative Norma Torres, she says... I support the speaker. I think she's done a really good job. She has been on point and she's delivered on all the caucus priorities. So I just don't see who would replace her at this point. I can't envision anyone right now. She also said, I don't see how she has not met the demands of the younger generation. So I don't see any of them as ready to step up and lead an entire caucus, very diverse caucus. Um, I, yeah, I have uh, thoughts. And one of them, one of them is, I will say as someone younger looking to the work Pelosi has done not only like the work she's done but like some of her most iconic moments like tearing up Trump's speech like she for being her age she really kind of is like in touch like in touch more than you would expect an 81 year old to be and I will absolutely give her that and she's iconic and but and she's done amazing work but you know that doesn't mean at this point like it's still I think a good thing to pass the baton it doesn't take away from like any of her just icon status accomplishments, all the things. I do so, think it is like, and I, I don't and I think there's so many, so many amazing options who can take her spot. I don't know, I don't know, I don't agree with that part. I think she, people, this person saying that can't envision anyone right now. I think there's so many awesome options and like diverse ones at that. From an optics standpoint, I totally agree that there are so many people that like feel right for it or feel like they could like find themselves there. And granted, I want to give like a closer lens to it, but just from like a national optics lens. But I feel like from a strategic, like a negotiations behind the scene type of persona, I feel like she's really like hard to beat. Like I, her and like oh. Schumer are this like duo of like, but that's because like nobody's, nobody's she's been there for 19 it. years totally yeah so we don't know who how other people really could be and i right. think there are so many powerhouses in in the house that i think would do a great job especially yes. women especially our squad but basically just kind of sum all of this up like pelosi has not yet announced her post-election plan some believe she's not even considering leaving but a lot of senior democrats have been retiring 26 um in fact so who aren't seeking re-election in november of this year so we'll see what happens but you know there's a chance the house could look a little different without pelosi as speaker and maybe without pelosi as as you know a member so again we will see and keep everyone updated obviously but we'll move on to our next story because there is some exciting movement potentially regarding the filibuster because biden is gonna possibly back some filibuster changes to push the voting rights bill through potentially always have to add that in here with any (laughs) any story but 
Joe Biden will use a speech in Georgia in order to endorse a change to Senate filibuster rules, stating it's time to choose democracy over autocracy. And Biden will pay tribute to past civil rights battles, such as visiting the church where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was once a pastor, shout out MLK Day. And so Chuck Schumer has actually set up MLK Day as the deadline to pass voting legislation or to just like revisit the rules in order to pass this. So that's kind of what's happening there. And yeah. yeah. And to sort of give like an excerpt out of the speech, which I also didn't realize too that they release some of his speeches prior to him actually giving them, which I think is like a really interesting press tool. But regardless, regardless of Sam's PR rants, this is what Biden told the audience, which was a speech today, BT dubs. The next few days when these bills come to a vote will mark a turning point in this nation. Will we choose democracy over autocracy, light over shadow, justice over injustice? I know where I stand and I will not yield. I will not flinch. Jesus. Jesus. The dramatics. Jesus. Oh. We'll say. Poetry. I, yeah, you know, I gotta. It does have a good ring to it. It's like a haiku. I actually don't even know what a haiku is. I should shut He's, the fuck it's up. It's giving. It's giving George Washington. I don't know. It's giving founding fathers. <laughs> He's absolutely wearing a wig during this speech. So everyone is welcome for this unnecessary visual. <laughs> Also, I'm super upset. This is such a fucking tangent. Kind of upset that <laughs> our Congress doesn't wear the white wigs like the UK Parliament does. Do they still do that? I'm 90% sure that they still do. I think, and I think they do. Not to bring up Locks Club again. <laughs> <laughs> I am talking to a guy and... As, the, as I do. And <laughs> as, as you definitely do. <laughs> too much. And nonetheless, we have an idea for a campaign. And our campaign that we're running on is actually having lower bins and airplanes for short people, a.k.a. yours truly. A.k.a. you mm. too. Let's be real. I, we're both short. Sure. That's our campaign. And we think that we should negotiate this in Congress while wearing the wigs because it makes it more fun. So it's interesting that this is very creative and un wieldy idea has been spurred prior to now this moment and i'm just so glad that these white puffy probably stinky wigs are back in the plight because it just feels fun like it feels we need to do something what with, about purple with that. wigs oh okay we need to do something with that i mean maybe it's a merch item maybe <laughs> maybe people can buy the wigs on bonfire and you get a you get a hoodie and you get a you get a wig maybe you get a founding father wig <laughs> And we have all the colors of the rainbow because it's 2022. And we love fun hair color. Um, We're modernizing the Founding Father wig. And you might see that on Bonfire. We'll have to set up a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) See if they can get the inventory for us. But... Let's let's go. We gotta we gotta finish these stories. People are gonna turn us off. They really are. All right. Okay. So Biden also said, "I will defend your right to vote and our democracy against all enemies, foreign and domestic." And so the question is, where will the institution of the United States Senate stand? Why are you laughing? I'm just. I want to know who the speechwriter is. Let's find. You know what? LinkedIn. Let's get it. I might need to. I have a few words. Yeah. It's just. Mm. But according to a White House official, Biden will voice support of changing the filibuster rules only to ensure the right to vote is defended. Filibuster rules require 60 votes to advance most legislation, a threshold Senate Democrats can't meet on their own. And with their thin 50-50 Senate majority, Republicans unanimously oppose the voting rights measures, and not all Democrats are fully on board with changing the filibuster. 
We're beyond speeches at this point. What we need, what we are demanding is federal legislation, said Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Votes Matter. And it can't happen soon enough, she said. Democrats have been unable to agree over potential changes to the Senate bill buster rules, like we said, and it is just <laughs> a headache. And you know what? It does give us the TikTok content. You know, there's really just keeps on coming, keeps making itself. But it's the gift that keeps on giving, for sure. Yeah. So this is especially relevant. Guys, it's 2022. How many times have we said it this episode? But voting rights advocates in Georgia and around the country are super anxious about really what will happen this year in the elections this year as Republicans have made it extremely hard to vote in certain districts, um, to say the least, for people of color, older people, younger people. It's it's a whole it's a whole thing. But hopefully, again, some action happens on this filibuster. I think I think that's that's the story as of now. And again, I think we'll know by next week what the future of the filibuster and what the future of this bill will look like. So we'll probably, guess what? <laughs> guess what? Update you next week. <laughs> but those are going to be our top stories of the week. You know, we got some timely stories, but we also had such a timely interview with Brian today and I hope everyone learned so much for their first episode back of 2022. We have more amazing episodes and interviews and guests coming for you. So oh, yeah. tune in, go to girlinthegov.com slash careers if you're looking for an internship and you are in college. If not, when you still want to be involved, sign up for a brand ambassador program. And, you know, we, we pushed some New Year's resolutions on our last episode of 2021, one of them being just being more civically engaged. And the brand ambassador program is a great way to do that. So sign up and also a little donation button link is in the episode description. Again, if you loved this episode and want to support your girls and this mission, then slide on in there. But that is it for this week. Sam, do you have anything to say? There's also the Spotify update. Oh, well, you know, the question, do I have anything to say is always... That's, that's always just... a yes. <laughs> Regardless of the topic or the time, there are words to come out of Samantha's mouth. Always. Hey, always. I'm just trying to bring consistency to the people, but there is an awesome Spotify update that Maddie just mentioned, and that is that you can actually now give ratings on Spotify. Previously, this was more of like an Apple podcast thing only. If you are an Apple podcast listeners, we thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep reviewing, keep sharing from there as well. But if you are a Spotify user, let me tell you, this is your moment to shine. Give us those five stars. It is on our Girl in the Gov the Podcast page slash, you know, interface on Spotify. So easy, breezy, beautiful. And one last thing. There's tons of ways you can support us this year. You can follow us on social media. You can rate, review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can even send us some quarters. There's just a plethora of things to support Girl in the Gov and in 2022. So I have one here more. Here we are. I have one oh, more. please. And that is sharing is caring. And oh, I was going to say that too. Right. Share the pod with your friends, your peers, everyone in between. But not just that. Not just the podcast. Share our posts share our TikToks, all of that interaction helps build momentum across everything. So, you know, you see something, you like it, share it, save it, like it, all that jazz. And I like it again, like it again, <laughs> re-like it, post it. So yeah, we got a lot going on guys. So there's tons of content. There's tons of things to do and we will be back 
next week with a fresh episode so tune in then and we'll be chatting with you all next week toodles Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.